Hi, everyone. Before we get to the show, I wanted to let you know about my new on-demand course for discovering and developing core values. On this podcast, I've chatted with many guests about the importance of incorporating core values in their life and career. High achievers will tell you it's the key to many of their accomplishments. I get asked a lot by readers of Friday Forward and Elevate about the best way to do this, and I haven't had an easy answer to date. This course is that way. The course walks you through a tested method to help you brainstorm, refine, and test a list of personal core values. The course can be completed in about an hour, but it will prompt plenty of reflection and work in the days, weeks, and months that follow. Start discovering the principles that matter most to you and get better alignment. You can learn more about the course at corevaluescourse.com. I hope you check it out at corevaluescourse.com. Now let's get to the episode. Again, successful business person, mom, everything seemed like it was fine. But I think health-wise, I was a ticking time bomb. You're listening to the Elevate Podcast, and I'm your host, Robert Glazer. Join me as I talk to world-class performers about how they build their capacity and reach greater heights in leadership, business, and life, and how you can do the same. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast. Our quote for today is from David Joseph Schwartz, do what you fear and fear disappears. Our guest today, Kara Golden, has made overcoming a fear a hallmark of her career. She is the founder and CEO of Hint Inc., known for its award-winning Hint-flavored water. She's been named uh, Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year in Northern California and one of Fast Company's most creative people in business and one of Fortune's most powerful women entrepreneurs. She's also the host of the Unstoppable podcast with Kara Golden and the author of the new book, Undaunted, which was recently released. Kara, welcome. It's great to have you on the Elevate podcast. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. So I'm always interested uh, with with entrepreneurs on sort of uh, what you know, born or made. So take us back. Uh, what, what did the early days look like for you? Was this something that uh, always sort of had entrepreneurial tendencies, or or did it evolve? I think it's always easier to look back and and so and connect the dots, right? And say, oh, okay, now I get it, right? Um, but you know, not really. I was never saying that I was going to go and be an entrepreneur, even though I had worked for entrepreneurs. And uh, I was the last of five kids, grew up in Arizona. And I, I always joke that I was I was kind of an original settler to Scottsdale, Arizona back in totally aging myself, but back in the 70s. And my dad dragged us there kicking and screaming. There was no one there. It was like 100,000 people. And so, um, yeah, it was crazy. And he really had the vision to kind of not only see that, but uh, he also taught me a lot in that he worked for a large company, Armor Food Company at the time when we moved to Arizona from Minneapolis and had an opportunity to start a brand within Armor Food Company, originally called Dinner Classics, which became Healthy Choice. Oh, yeah. I had a lot of those microwave meals. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, the backstory on that was that my mom, when I was going to kindergarten, my mom decided after having five kids, she wanted to go back to work and she wanted to go into a totally different career. And she was an art history major and she wanted to go in into fashion. And so she went back to work and with it, she ended up 
working some evenings and nights around dinner hour when my dad was used to having dinner made for him. And uh, because dinner wasn't going to be made for him, his only other option was this horrible, we called them TV dinners, frozen dinners and, yeah. and a Stouffer's. And he used to just be like, this stuff is awful. We don't even know what we're eating. And again, he worked for a food company. So he's like, maybe I can convince them to do a competing product. And so that ended up to be healthy choice. And one of the things that I talk about, and again, I, I didn't realize this when I was living it. I didn't have full appreciation for sort of what I was learning. But looking back, I mean, my dad was really the first one that I had seen that was really not only talking about sourcing, but also talking about storytelling. And so if you look back on the original packaging of of healthy choice, he'd talk about like for the shrimp dinner, he'd talk about the shrimp fishermen and they caught the fish off of the coast of Georgia and they got up at 3 a.m. and they never had breakfast with their kids because they were passionate about what they did and they caught the best shrimp. And I mean, it, it was it was amazing, right? And at times as a kid, I'd be like, why do you have to tell all those stories? I mean, it was horrible, right? I had no appreciation for what he was doing. But I mean, today building a brand and being able to actually share with consumers kind of your why and and not only why you did it, but who's behind it and everything else around it is just so key. So he was he was not only ahead in sort of figuring out Scottsdale, but also figuring out a lot of other things, including that sort of stuff. But again, um, you know, grew up in Arizona, was an athlete. I was a competitive gymnast and a big runner and uh, ended up going to Arizona State University primarily because it was in-state tuition. And I didn't know any different, but I was a journalism major with a minor in finance. And uh, my dream was to leave Arizona and go work for Fortune magazine. And it happened to be in New York City. And so I it's a little bit longer story, which I talk about in the book. And again, really funny to look back on. But for me, I, I just, people called it, you know, fearless. I, I was, you know, somewhat clueless. I just, I, yeah. I just wanted to work for Fortune. And I knew they were based in New York. And so I went and got a plane ticket and, and came out to New York and marched into the HR department after sending Marshall Loeb, the then managing editor, a note saying, hey, I'd love to work for you. And he said, if you're ever in the New York area. And so then I bought a plane ticket for a month from then. And and uh, I never worked for Fortune, but I found a an opportunity as an executive assistant at Time Magazine. And so I took that role, uh, worked for a great woman, um, Brooke McMurray, who taught me a ton about circulation, which I didn't even know what that was, but those stupid blow-in insert cards that go into magazines. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I, I mention all of this because really that's kind of the core to what I ultimately ended up doing much later, which is focusing our business hint on direct-to-consumer. So over 50% of our business is direct-to-consumer, it's subscription, it's lifetime value. I mean, all of those core things. So anyway, that was sort of the beginning of, of my career in New York. And then uh, this other media company, CNN, was starting. And I was familiar with CNN because I actually had to have cable. I lived on the Upper West Side and I couldn't get any television unless... I had cable. And so I'd heard about, I always 
got home late at night. And so I turn on CNN to actually see what had happened in the world. And, you know, this is the early 90s. It was in a really important time for CNN when it was really getting on the map, but it was still very much a startup. And I think that the thing that I learned about that was jumping into I didn't call it a startup. In fact, I think in the nine in the early nineties, it was embarrassing to call things a startup. You were you were not going out of your way to actually say something was a startup, at least on the East Coast. Um, you sort of had a fake it till you make it um, kind of mentality. But I think working for for somebody like Ted Turner and um, what I realized there was that money and sales were really, really important, revenue coming in. And that was really driven by Ted, but also this concept of let's just go try. And so then I moved out to San Francisco with my husband. My husband met him in New York and he was going to NYU law school and he wanted to do technology law. And everybody in New York said, go West. And so we did thinking it was only going to be for a year. And it's now been 27 years, hmm. a long time. And so that was, you know, great time. It was 1994. And uh, I had been reading about this guy, Steve Jobs, for years and had, you know, the first IMAX in, in college and was just like, oh, he really gets it. Like it's small, small, not as small as they are today, but smallish with the cute little apple on it. And they he understands design and simplicity and Again, I connected him, my only connection to Silicon Valley as somebody that I would dream to work for. And I didn't work for him, but I worked for a an idea that was his inside of Apple that four guys who worked for him spun out uh, that was doing CD-ROM shopping. And uh, the only reason why I loved that job outside of the fact that I hoped that I was going to meet Steve <laughs> and kind of hear his thinking was that it was shopping and I love to shop. I love to catalog shop and I didn't have time to go into stores. So that's when I anyway took that role. And um, after cold calling these guys that were quoted in this article and I and when I went into to meet them and take them to coffee, not really to look for a job. They, uh, I said, okay, I get what you guys are doing. You're all engineers and you're product guys, but how do you make money? And they're like, oh, we, we don't really need to make money. And there was one investor sitting in the room and he <laughs> said, and he said, no, keep going, Kara. Like, I, I like this thinking, like, when are you guys going to make money on this? And so I was asked to come in and build a revenue model and actually make it work. And uh, and again, I'm like in my 20s. I mean, it was crazy. It was just, that's where I learned that ideas can come from anywhere. And it doesn't matter, you know, what your title is or where you went to school or any of these things that I felt like really kind of mattered in my life in, in New York. And anyway, we were acquired by America Online, uh, that investor that really cared about money. And uh, they asked me in the acquisition to run this thing called Shopping and E-Commerce Partnerships. I, I don't think when I was asked to actually run it, ever, anyone ever thought that e-commerce and shopping was going to happen. I think that they sort of said, yeah, she's young. She doesn't have any experience, but just let her go run it. And Seven years later, it was a billion dollars in revenue to AOL, and it was a. I was the youngest vice president in the company, one of the only females. Um, 
I was a manager, I was a vice president, and my role was not to actually learn, but to manage and teach. And so today I, I talk a lot about this, how, you know, that created burnout. My brain was not learning on a day-to-day basis. And it wasn't AOL's fault. It was, you know, my own fault. And we were leveling out as a company that I was managing. And so I frequently talk to leaders about this today that I think a lot of happiness and a lot of times I think we call it mental health, but I think oftentimes I, you know, talk to people about, are you learning? Especially if you're a CEO or C-suite executive, you're like, "Mm, not really. Yeah. So how about figuring out how you can ultimately learn? Because when I was in this in-between time after AOL and obviously being a mom and enjoying being around a little bit more, that's when I decided I wanted to figure out a health issue that I had, which, which was predominantly over the course of 15 years, I had gained a bunch of weight after college. And I had gained 55 pounds since graduating from college. I was never a very big person. I was an athlete, but I kept gaining weight through all the pregnancies and my skin had developed terrible adult acne and and then also uh, my energy levels. What was your vice? Was it juice, soda? I have, is it... Was diet, it? so diet soda, diet Coke in particular, and okay. I drank a ton of it. In fact, my mom was a tab drinker. Oh yeah, that's, that's bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, of course, I mean you have kids as well. Like, I, there was no way I was drinking tab because that was my mom's drink, right? But diet Coke came out, and when I was a teenager, and I I don't think I liked it at first, and then I I became addicted to it. And I was just drinking it. And again, successful business person, mom, everything seemed like it was fine. But I think health-wise, I was a ticking time bomb. And I always share with people that, you know, once I really started to look into it and kind of figure out how your body works, I was, I took science classes, but I wasn't a doctor or nutritionist or a scientist. You know, when you're when your skin actually starts to show problems and how mine was, it's the largest organ in your body. And my body had was shutting down. I mean, I think I was pre-type 2 diabetes, which at that time, only 2% of the population had this. And today, 40 to 45% of the population has type 2 diabetes. And most people are claiming to watch their calories, drink diet, eat diet, eat low fat. And anyway, what I what I realized in trying to fix myself through diet and exercise and food was it was just really hard and nothing was working. And then one day my diet Coke can was staring me in the face and I thought, gosh, there's a lot of things in here that I don't really understand. Maybe I should just test this. And I threw it in the garbage for two weeks and swapped it for plain water, thought plain water was super boring. Grew up in Arizona where I should have been drinking a lot of water, but I didn't. And instead, now I'm drinking a lot of water. I'm bored as can be. And I'm thinking, I don't know how long I can do this. But then after two and a half weeks, I lost 24 pounds in two and a half weeks. And that was the only change? Only change. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time. And it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. 
When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hey, Elevate listeners. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space, and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am, and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com elevate. So how many Diet Cokes were you drinking today? You know, depending on the day, I typically wasn't drinking cans. I was typically like I'd go <laughs> to the Circle yeah. K or Seven um, Eleven and fill up the super big gulps, and and you know I would just anywhere from six to twelve. Wow! I mean, yeah, it was a lot. But actually, it's funny. I mean, now that I've gotten to know the Coca Cola guys, it's uh, you know I was a heavy user. I wasn't. Uh, it it's not unheard of how much I was drinking. But again, it's it was just terrible for my system and my system was breaking down and and nobody suggested what I was drinking. And especially I thought diet equated to health. Well there, there was a lot lot of marketing dollars that went into that. You know, when and you there said still it, are. when you yeah. said healthy choice, I was thinking back to that era because uh, we were similar vintage, the Snackwell, when Snackwells came out and just people were just eating boxes of those Snackwell yeah. cookies because they were all <laughs> like fat free and just, you know, all carbs and refined sugar and how much damage the low carb uh, diet did to everyone. Totally. But it was crazy. And so I, so anyway, I had seen this in my own life, how I had kind of fixed my problem. And then over the course of the remainder of the year, I lost all 55 pounds. I was, you know, in great shape and I had finally figured it out. And that's when I looked at the world and I said, you know, there's these industries, there's these categories like diet soda and vitamin water was really taking off. And I realized that there was no diet version of vitamin water. And, you know, I thought there's all this healthy perception stuff that's out there and the decks are really stacked against consumers. And so, I believed that if I could actually develop a product and get it on the shelf 
then that could actually help people enjoy water and get healthier. But I had no idea. I had no experience. I had no idea whether or not it could work. In fact, I, people said, that's so cool that you got this idea for a company. I'm like, is it a company? I mean, I, I kept asking these questions back to them. I'm like, I don't know if it's a company. It's just while I'm trying to figure out if I want to go work at Google, I'm trying to figure out whether or not I actually want to get a product on the shelf just to kind of entertain myself for a little while. And and But I go back to this lifelong learning statement because as I'm talking to all my friends in tech and sharing what I'm doing, you know, they all thought it was a little weird. They doubted that I was, they were like, what are you doing? Like, this is crazy. My husband even doubted it. He said, are you sure? Like, this is a really good idea. And I said, look, every day I wake up and I think about this and I'm learning so much and I'm, I have no idea how to get a product on the shelf or how to make it to get a shelf life without preservatives or distributors or whatever, but I was just engaged and learning. But, but interestingly, this was like top down for you. I, I actually thought the origin totally. story was going to be like you, you know, one day put a kiwi in your water and the next day you put a strawberry and you had this sort of epiphany. But this was this was really a market needs analysis, which is interesting. Well, I mean, I did it, but I didn't even call it that. Like it yeah. wasn't. And so probably close to a year of just drinking water, that's when I did do what you said, which just was slice got too bored. fruit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I got bored and I started slicing fruit. And, you know, my friends would ask me, so what do you have in your water today? And I'd say, oh, it's a pomegranate. And they'd say, how did you decide to put a pomegranate in your water? And I'm, I'm like starting to worry about my friends at this point. I'm thinking... Yeah. Why does it matter that I put a pomegranate in my water? But I thought it gets me to drink water. And so, yeah, I mean, it's just that was the beginning of it. And I had no idea whether it was going to work. And but I was learning every single day. And and that was such a key thing for me. What what I often share with people, again, another thing that I didn't realize until I got it on the shelf was that if you're actually starting a company that you find the hole in the market, right, whether it's in tech or whatever, and, and beverage, and you see the whole, that's like climbing a mountain to actually start a company. If you are not only starting a company, but you're also starting an entirely new category within an industry, because there is no one, in our case, doing unsweetened flavored water, that's like climbing Everest. And I know a couple of people who have climbed Everest, but that that's how hard it is. And the, yeah. So, Plus you have, you know, the beverage industry, I don't know how people know it, but I mean, the distribution is kind of like a, a mafioso thing. I, I remember uh, Seth, the, the founder of Honest Tea, I heard yeah. him speak once and, and then, you know, he has these, he actually has a voicemail that this, <laughs> that this guy left on a distributor threatening him about sort of coming into their space. I mean, that's not an easy, uh, the, the logistics of that business is really controlled by all the, all the big companies. So how did, when did you get the product launched and how did you get it? Did you go directly to consumers at that point or did you go through wholesale? No. So we got it. I got it on the shelf at Whole Foods, my local Whole Foods. And actually uh, the day my son, Justin, I was having a planned C-section. Um, you'll you'll read this in the book, but I didn't have to be at the hospital till two. And so I shared with my husband that I wanted to 
we had just gotten the product the day before. And so I said, hey, would you mind if we stop by Whole Foods? Because it would make me feel really great if I went into labor and uh, getting the product on the shelf. And he's shaking his head the entire way, <laughs> um, you know, just going, oh, my God, she's nuts. And then I educated the uh, the guy stocking the shelves at Whole Foods on what a planned C-section is versus an emergency C-section. And ultimately, that worked. And he put it on the shelf. And I found out the next day when my son, Justin, who's now 15, uh, when he was born, they called, Whole Foods called, the guy called and said, hey, we the 10 cases are gone. And wow. so we had sold 10 cases in Whole Foods in San Francisco overnight. And that's when I thought, we're off to the races. Like we're, you know, we're going to be the next vitamin water or Diet Coke or whatever. And that's when really the doubts started to sink in because I had no idea what I was doing. People were saying to me, they were reaching out, they'd taste the product. They were like, we want to support you. Can we give you an angel investment? And I'm like, don't do that. I mean, seriously, the next couple, I need to figure this out. I still want to have dinner with you. I don't want to spend your money until I'm really confident that we really know what we were doing because there were so many things, including distribution, as you mentioned. But the bigger issue was actually making the product. And we maybe had a shelf life at that point of like six weeks, maybe, Mm -hmm. before it would you know, potentially taste bad or grow mold because I didn't want to use preservatives. I didn't want to use sweeteners, but I also didn't want to use preservatives. And so I was a quick study on this a few months in recognizing like the hurdles. I still didn't believe though that my problems couldn't be solved by partnering in some way with somebody who had industry experience. And so about a year into uh, the life of Hint and we were doing pretty well in the San Francisco market, that's when a friend connected me with somebody pretty senior at at Coca-Cola. And I thought, gosh, like I'm I'm his customer or I was his customer. And now I've created this new category. <laughs> They'll yeah. really get it. I mean, they're gonna take my product and put it on the trucks and they're gonna produce my product and the world is he's got a magic wand and it's gonna be perfect. And when I got on the phone with him after you know, sharing how successful we had been over the last year, he jumped in and interrupted me 15 minutes into the conversation and said, sweetie, Americans love sweet. This product isn't going anywhere. And I was like, wait, did he just call me sweetie? I'm, I it's suddenly like my ears perked up and I started listening. And uh, partly because I was so shocked, right, by him saying something like that to me that I wasn't used to hearing. And then a lot of people have said, did you hang up on him? Did you? And I said, no, I just listened. I, I continued to listen. And that's when he basically told me that not only was my idea stupid, but this is not what consumers wanted and that consumers wanted lower calories and they wanted things sweeter. And it's fascinating because he hung up the phone with me and I no longer believed that somebody who was in a large company or somebody that was really looking at their own product as kind of the way it was and the way it would always be as really correct and somehow mine was wrong right i and what i i had a choice at that point i could be upset with what he said call it rude call it obnoxious whatever and you know dismissive or I could listen to my small base of existing customers in San Francisco who would 
write to us off of the bottle or call us off of that email, very similar to the honest tea story. And the problem was, and, and they were all saying, you've helped me get healthy. This guy never said the word health in the entire one hour conversation. Instead, it was how do we trick the consumer into believing something's healthy? So that's when I said, he's wrong and I'm right because I have all these consumers that are telling me and I'm just way far ahead of where and he's not going to be able to see the vision. And so I need to throw my foot on the gas pedal and just start going and doing what I'm going to do. And and so that was, yeah, so that was the beginning of Hint. And, you know, we had been in the market for a year, but at that point we said, let's just go. And, and then we raised a little bit of money and we continued to expand. We actually went into the New York market. We were in the same distributor as Honest. And, and uh, yeah, and that continued to grow. And then it wasn't actually a, another story that I share in my book, another really important time and and lesson. It wasn't until this point that we actually got serious about the direct-to-consumer, which again is sort of ironic given sort of what I had lived through and grown up in around e-commerce. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I, as you said, there's kind of a playbook, right? You you get the distribution deal, you sell to the big guys. Your strategy has sort of been the opposite. What made you think that that would work in something that's also very expensive, right? Shifting, shipping water. Yeah, so it it started actually almost as coming out of something that, call it a challenge, call it a failure, but we got nationwide distribution in Starbucks. And uh, we're in... 11,000 Starbucks. We thought we were so smart. We had uh, asked, you know, what is success? We knew what that was. And we were doing three times what they wanted within six months. A year and a half later, they reach out to us, new buyer, and she wants to introduce herself to us. And she said, great to meet you. I have some really bad news. And I'm like, well, it can't be that bad. We're doing three times the you know, sales that you suggested that we get to. And, and she said, unfortunately, we're going to put food in the case and we need to pull out some brands. And your brand is one of them that we're going to pull out of the case. And I said, you're kidding. 
Like, how, how can you do this? She said, well, it's directed from Howard Schultz's office and higher ring products, higher margin, totally made sense from a business standpoint, but it wasn't in my favor. And it also really, really hurt because 40% of my business was sitting in the hands of Starbucks and in the hands of Howard Schultz deciding that he wanted to do this. And so I said, so when is this happening? She said, next week. So I had six months of inventory and I had investors. It was a mess and we almost went under. Necessity is the mother of all invention, I guess. Crazy, right? And I bring this up because I went out to my investors. I disclose like, listen, if you got any ideas, I've got six months of inventory that I'm going to have to destroy if I don't actually figure out something to do with this. And then we get an email and then a phone call from a buyer at Amazon and and they had started this grocery business. And we were in there in like a really small way, but they reached, the buyer reached out to us and said, hey, um, I buy your product all the time at Starbucks when I get my coffee in the morning. And I'd really love to know what the lead time is and getting some product because we want to put you in a big way into Amazon grocery. And you're like, let me check. Let me see. What yeah. We have in the and that's exactly what I'm like, do I tell them that we've been discontinued? And I said, you know, we have an overrun of Blackberry Hint. And if you, I mean, I can send a truck today, as long as you wire me money, I'm, I'm good. And then I'm like, yes. Okay. We've got two trucks going out the door. And then we became like one of the top items in all of Amazon grocery, clearly the top in beverage. And the thing that was so fascinating to me, and this was about a year into our relationship with Amazon grocery, was that the buyer said that the person who's buying our product was very different than the person who was buying other beverages because they were buying things like diabetes monitors and Mm. health-related items and things that definitely had a health halo on it, maybe, you know, whether they're healthy or not, but like a kind bar or, you know, things that really said that this consumer really wants health. And I said, that's amazing. Can, will you give me their emails? Because I want to reach out to them. And they said, Jeff Bezos won't allow us to give out emails. (laughs) Sorry. And so again, I remember going on a Southwest flight back to San Francisco thinking, you know, the only way I'm going to get my data is if I launch drinkhint.com. And so I remember very well fighting my investors, my board saying, saying, listen, this is what we need to do. And they said, how are you going to compete against price? Shipping is expensive, all of these things. And I said, but we got to know who our customer is. And that's the thing that I realized going into this industry from tech is that I knew who my customer was when I was at AOL, I did not know who my customer was because Amazon knew who my customer was, Starbucks did, and Whole Foods and everybody else. But I didn't really know who my consumer was. And again, I wanted to start this company because of health. I was hearing it very clearly that this consumer wanted health and I wanted to talk to him. And I didn't care if I was going to offer the cheapest price. And what I ultimately was able to do was share that, number one, we, my husband and I ended up literally building out the first site, which was so bad. I mean, we kept it for a couple of years because it became so big, but we were willing to be scrappy and really roll up our sleeves. And although I, I have hired a lot better engineers and coders and, and my life, and certainly in my company, we 
we lived undaunted. We didn't, we didn't care. We were just like, we'll do it pretty well. Hopefully it'll work. We don't know. It might fail, but whatever. We'll go try because we had no other choice, right? Yeah. We, it was, we not only wanted the data, but another really important piece that was cropping up is we were getting big enough where the soda companies and our, you know, kind of big guy competitors, they knew who we were and they were blocking us in stores. Yeah, I told the mafia. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a separate yeah, part of and, the distribution mafia. Yeah. Yeah, and and the other thing that happened purely by accident and a major piece in the growth and this happened earlier than than even the story of Starbucks, but a few years in I was getting recruited by a few tech companies and one of them was Google and Google said to me the guy who was trying to hire me Omid Cortesani it's a friend of mine. He worked with my husband at Netscape. And he said, listen, you know, I really want you to come. And he kept offering more money. And I said, you know, Amit, it really isn't about money for me right now. It's really about, you know, I don't want to travel that much. And I had ideas, but I said, also, I've kind of, I started this company. And here he's thinking that it's going to be a competitor to Google in some way. And he's shared a lot of information with me. And I, so I, just wanted to put him at ease. And I pull a bottle of Hint out of my bag. And I said, no, no, it's this company. He's like, you're starting a beverage company? And I said, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I know, but I'm really interested in it. And he kept asking all the same questions that I was asking, like, how do you get distribution? How do you do all this? And, you know, he was really intrigued. He said, that's awesome. You know, you can always like call me when it doesn't work kind of thing. Um, but it was fascinating because he introduced me to the chef at Google. He said, listen, we're going to be hiring like a chef and catering to our employees so that they eat healthier and they can get back to work on time um, because the restaurants are so packed um, from our employees. And I don't think we've done anything about drinks yet, but we certainly don't want the big Coca-Colas and the sodas in here. So call him and see what he says. And so I called Charlie and I said, hey, Charlie. And he's like, oh, Mead just told me about you. Yeah, totally. Like drop off 10 cases and we'll try it. And if it doesn't work, then we won't have it here and whatever. And then the next day he called me and he said, can we get 30 cases? Can we have 300 cases by the next week? I mean, it was insane. So we became the largest beverage in Silicon Valley to Google, to Facebook, to a lot of tech firms. Um, and then it reached across the US as they were expanding and then into other offices. And I mentioned this because we really, the only way that we ultimately grew and what I also share with entrepreneurs is Lots of things are possible if you actually don't follow the roadmap, right? For what everybody else is doing in your industry. You think, how do I actually reach my goal, which was sales? And you just continue doing and you continue trying. I didn't know if tech firms were going to work. I knew that they were giving it away for, to their employees. I didn't know how big Google was going to grow or that Cheryl leaves Google and loves loves Hint and she goes to Facebook and calls, say, hey, my, we need Hint and all of Facebook. And, and all of those kind of things that happened were all great, but then we were getting bigger and bigger and the soda guys didn't like that. And they didn't want us in their space in these stores. And we were no longer just sitting in our little space in Whole Foods and you know being laughed at, right? We were actually on the map. You know, before we wrap up, I don't, I don't want to miss this opportunity. So, you know, one of the things you talk about in the book a lot is overcoming fear. And, uh, you know, listening to you in the story, it seems like it, it doesn't sound like you ever really 
stopped enough to to be fearful. It's like, oh, Amazon's, uh, Starbucks is dropping us. We're just going to make it work and and not worrying about conventional wisdom. I think those are the two things that I, I see a lot of people fear, like going off the, the standard path and then sort of the unknown. Uh, and it seems like those were two areas where, where you, you took a different path. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people over the years have said, you know, are, are you a risk taker? And I don't know. Like, I, I think it's a really interesting piece because I think I'm, I'm clearly curious. I lead my life. I, I'm, like I said, I, I think that being a lifelong learner is probably the most important thing and something I encourage my kids um, to constantly think about too. And, you know, I try and always put myself into situations that maybe are not totally comfortable. I guess that's risky. But I've always said to people as it relates to work, if you believe you've done a, a good job in the last place that you were at, right? Then then what is the risk? And that's what uh, my dad used to say to me all the time. He said, you know, when I was really challenged about something, he'd say, what's the worst that's going to happen? And for my dad, he measured it in finance, right? So when I was trying to feel like getting nervous about moving to New York City from Arizona, I didn't even know what a subway was. And I said, I'm really scared, like a couple of days before. And he said, what's the worst that can happen? And I said, well, I could die. I, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that could happen. We could, you know, lay it all out. And he said, no, but seriously, you're 21. You're not going to have any furniture. Just sign a year or less lease. Like how much is a plane ticket to fly if you go to JFK and fly back to Phoenix? I mean, is it a one-way ticket, 500 bucks at that time? I mean, how much is it? So that's your risk. It's a few thousand dollars. I mean, it's it. You're going to learn a lot. There's going to be good stuff that's going to happen. There's going to be stuff that you know you didn't predict. But he said it's up to you. But that's what your risk is. So make a decision. And you know things like that. I still say to people to this day when sometimes it's financial, sometimes it's not financial at yeah. all, right? But I think it's when you start to lay things out like that, then it allows you to kind of measure right? In some way, yeah, it's not that bad. And I should just go and just go and try it. And so I think that the key thing that I see in so many entrepreneurs, and part of the reason why I wanted to write this book too, is that I've definitely had doubts. I've had fears. I've had failures. I've you know had doubters as well along the way. But the key thing is, is that I believe that being an entrepreneur is more than being a unicorn, more than being a failure more than being, you know, somebody that fakes it till they makes it. However you want to define it, it's how they navigated it. Yeah. And it's how they allowed their curiosity to keep going. And I think that that's the key thing that I've seen in, in the best entrepreneurs today. They didn't have a roadmap either. I had I've had great reviews off of the book. It made Wall Street Journal bestseller list and Amazon bestseller list, which I'm super grateful for. But it was uh, it's fascinating because as I was, you know, getting it out there, I think that the key thing I was hearing from a lot of people that they loved it. I had one reviewer um, that wrote to me and said as an entrepreneur, you should actually tell everybody how to actually go do something. And I said, but that's it. Like no great entrepreneur can actually tell you the one, two, three. They can tell you how they did it, but they don't know 
exactly what the formula is because it just depends. You know, if you're starting a company in the middle of the pandemic, it's a very different situation than somebody who started in 2019, right? There's different factors. And it's very personal too. It's very personal. And it's also one where there's a lot of stuff that's happened along the way because of my story. It's very personal and people are shocked. And, you know, I remember going into some VC's office early on and I had a few VCs say to me, you have four kids under the age of six and, you know, seriously, like you're, why are you starting, how is this thing going to work? And I mean, I said, I don't know, it might not. I don't know. And now those same people come back to me and they say, I should have invested. This is so crazy, right? Like, why didn't I see it? And, and so, again, the, the other thing that I want to get out there is really showing people that you don't have to have a lot of experience in an industry. In fact, those people probably don't know how to be innovative anymore. The people that are, it's very personal, those are the people that you actually have to bet on, that you have to look for that are that are doing this because they want to learn, they're curious, they want to keep moving forward and they're just not going to give up. And that is really my story and the story of Hint. All right, Carol. Thank you for sharing your story with us. I, I love the story and I love the product. And uh, thank you. Uh, we we learned our kids go to the same camp, and uh, I noticed there there was a lot of hint water there. And then we put it all together. So uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. All right, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Kara and her work and her book on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. Thank you again for your support. Until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join podcast royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.